right, welcome to the Edgerton Life podcast. This is Jess Lampy, and today my guest is Thomas Luganbill. Tom, welcome. How you How you doing today, Jess? Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and uh, you can you can definitely call me Tommy because that's uh, that's how Andy knew me. All right, well, uh, thank you for allowing me to call you that as well. I know a lot of people don't uh, have the full context of this when I first talk with them, so. Um, Andy was envisioning creating a podcast, uh, where he was reaching out to people that he felt could inspire or inform people in a situation like him. And, uh, he had a, a, about 10 people on that list and you were one of the names. So I'm in this situation where unfortunately I don't know too much about you. So just to open this up really directly, how, how did you end up on the list? Oh man. Okay. For starters, uh, I I've done, I've done some interviews, not, not a lot, you know, uh, but I'll, I'll be humble. And the, the fact that you, uh, had reached out and told me that I was on this list, I got to, uh, I got to tell you, it made me a little bit nervous and I don't, I don't get nervous in these situations a lot, but when I heard that, you know, Andy, someone that I really cared about had stuck me on a, a list for people that he thought were, worth worth interviewing i said okay well i got to step up my a game make sure i uh support his legacy so uh for starters i'm flattered um andy was was an amazing person me who who am i that story could could be extremely long uh but in a nutshell uh my name is tommy luganville i live in a place called dunkirk maryland uh not to be confused with the dunkirk that Everybody probably knows from the famous movie. We're we're basically living um, about thirty minutes outside of DC, and uh, I live uh, I live down here now with my wife, and uh, we've got two horses and a pony, Peaches, uh, who Andy definitely uh, got to see lots of pictures of. But for the most part, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for I guess most of my life. I've done a lot of crazy things, and uh, right now. Um, the director of entrepreneurship down at the College of Southern Maryland, uh, right near where I live. Entrepreneurship is really why I met Andy. Uh, I met him at 1776 in D.C., and uh, he was working there for some time. And that's where we got to know each other. And the, the crazy friendship blossomed from there. And uh, that's that's me. That's me in uh, as much summary as I can give you. I'm looking forward to diving into a, a couple of the situations that I'm sure a, a fun life uh, of interaction with Andy leads you to. For people who may not be familiar with 1776, do you mind giving a little bit of a summary as to what 1776 is? I know Andy had talked a little bit about that with myself. Yeah, sure. So uh, 1776 is, I think it's a little different now than it was, but um, when we were there, it was a place for startups, kind of mid-sized companies where we could get access to space uh, for relatively inexpensive rate. Uh, it was one of the, it was one of the first open work shared environments. Uh, a lot of people know we work now, but before we work became very big, right about the same time 1776 launched. Uh, it was down and still is down in uh, near M Street in DC. Think of a very open collaborative environment for a company that does ed tech, uh, maybe someone that's a producer starting a small music company. There was a software for senior living. And then at any given time, there were there were people who were involved in investing and consulting 
startup companies, uh, which included people like Andy, people who had started a company, maybe exited, or people that could give advice. That's what it was. And 1776 was was great uh, because it was so close to the White House. And on any given day, you could have a foreign dignitary. You know, the prime minister of England came in one time and I got to interact with him. Uh, you could have a senator there, Michael Dell. Uh, so just a place where startup companies could get their bearings and um, kind of work together to eventually grow. And then um, the ultimate goal is get money and maybe move on to their own place. Describe for me, if you can, your first impression of Andy or the first time that you met Andy. What was the exact context? Was it in? Was he consulting specifically for something you were working on? <laughs> okay, the reason I love Andy, and I say love, not loved in the past sense, because maybe we'll get into that later. But the reason I love Andy is because the first time I ever met him, I had an immediate, real conversation with him. Uh, there was no for lack of a better word or phrase, there's no bullshit. He just cuts right to the chase. And that's exactly how I am as a person. And, you know, we were, this is my, me and my friend, Jared, who Andy also really, really had a nice relationship with. We were working with an ed tech company and Jared and I, you know, best friends from college and working together. It was awesome. All of a sudden this, this crazy guy, Andy comes up and just sits down and starts asking us, all these weird questions. I think the first thing he ever asked me was if I had, you know, I'm sorry for dog lovers out there because I love dogs too. He's, he basically sat down and said, Hey, have you guys ever eaten dog meat before? And uh, rather than being shocked by it, uh, we just, we just went with it. And the three of us, I, I, I kid you not, I think we had about a two hour conversation with him. And he was telling us stories about, you know, meetings he'd had overseas and some of the things that he'd had to do. The conversation went to Bo Jackson uh, and why Bo Jackson is, you know, one of the greatest athletes of all time. And of course, he loved him because of Kansas City. But it turns out that I've honestly loved Bo Jackson since I was a little kid because I got to see him play baseball. And um, from there, it, 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 he would just he would just show up every day. We'd be doing our work and uh, Andy would just pop in, sit down and uh, we would just have these conversations and the funny thing is, is it was, it was never, um, it was never weird. It was never like, why are we having these random conversations with this person? It was just like, Oh, nope, we're immediately friends. And, um, from there, that's, that's really where it started. And, uh, you know, from there to the point that, um, unfortunately, uh, he, he was diagnosed, uh, we, we just stayed in contact, uh, I'd say probably at least two, three times a week. And, uh, that was all the way up until the time of his passing. Had he talked at all about his goals? post the diagnosis had he talked to you at all about kind of what he was envisioning what he was hoping to achieve yeah he did i get the feeling that he was going down this path or he he had already gone down this path before he got ill but he was very into kind of mindfulness meditation looking at things in a i would say a slightly less western vantage point open to all points of view that had a huge influence on me. He basically talked a lot about how he had worked with certain people like uh, Deepak, who's the famous yogi, and how he gave you know speeches and things like that with him. And so what I what I kind of thought was transpiring was Andy trying to open up people, especially people who worked in like tech and startups, uh, opening them up to the idea of it's important to work hard, but everything doesn't have to be analytical. Sometimes you need to just stop and think with uh, 
the right side of your brain, which I think I'm pretty sure that's the one with creativity. But when he was doing that, he would start having those conversations with me and also with our buddy, Jared. That seemed to me to be the direction that he was going. And then when he did get sick, it seemed like he was like, okay, I really am doubling down on mindfulness and alternative medicine. From what I witnessed with him, it worked. I know ultimately he he did pass, but for the diagnosis that he had, it was remarkable how long he was still functioning and, and doing well. So I... I saw that as his vision. To me, that's that's where it was going, is helping people with that mentality uh, moving forward in life. It's fascinating. I've been reaching out to people through this podcast and in talking with several of them, I'm stunned at how many people he was keeping up with during such an arduous treatment process. Everybody seems to have had the experience of like, oh yeah, I was like chatting with him multiple times a week or this insane amount of frequency balancing that on top of chemo <laughs> i just find that crazy yeah i mean i think honestly and and maybe you know because he was such a such a good person maybe this is making it sound like i'm i'm being arrogant but the reason i really like dandy is because he reminded me a lot of myself i've been a person my whole life that's tried my best to to just remain in contact with with everybody as much as i can which is weird. I, you know, I can't speak to this for him, but I'm actually an introvert. You know, a lot of my energy gets drawn in kind of solitude and, and personal reflection. And then I can go out and I can have these crazy conversations with someone like Andy, or I can speak to friends a lot. I, I saw that in him as well, right? Like he was a very deep thinker. And I really, truly believe that he felt that sharing, you know, some of the wisdom that he had gained over the years, because, you know, that he had some hard times in life other than just being diagnosed with, uh, with cancer. I just saw it as him sharing what he had experienced because for him, it seemed like, look, I've been through this hardship. You don't need to go through it. Just take my advice, almost like an obligation. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Like I was some sort of chore for him to talk to. You know, yes, he was being my friend, but he was also kind of being a, a guide. I, I, I think he enjoyed it. You know, if he didn't enjoy it, I hope to think that he would he wouldn't do it if he didn't enjoy it. But I, I do. That to me is why he was able to do it is because it kept him going. To me myself, I just I feel like I recognize that pursuing some sort of treatment like like chemo is not a trivial task. It becomes like a full time job both for the individual and then uh, their extended families it's a it's a process you you're going through and but you're right at the same time that he's balancing that he he had this vision this drive to i feel like try to make the world a better place and his means of doing that his the lever he was going to pull to do that that was reaching out and talking to other people that i think simultaneously inspired him and he felt in turn yeah. could go inspire other people well, I mean, you bring up a good point, and, and I've thought a lot about this in my life, especially after, you know, watching what happened with Andy and, and you know, talking to him through all this is there, I think there comes a point where, and, and for people, it comes at different times in their life where you go, okay, you know, what am I doing here with my time? You know, how many accolades or how many milestones can I reach? And for him, he had, he had reached a lot. Then this kind of this switch turns and you're like, okay, well, what's my legacy? You know, because your legacy lives far beyond your physical body. And, and, and that goes back to the, to the thing with his kids, right? Where he reached out and said, Hey, you know, I'm putting together this, this montage of videos and 
information for my kids about who I was. Um, and, that, and that goes into his legacy. And that goes back to, you know, he knew there was a chance that, you know, the, the cancer would take him. And he said, okay, well, now it's, it's, it's my legacy. How do I help these people that I care about? You know, not that he wouldn't have kept helping people like me if, if he had, you know, survived. Uh, but then it really became an issue or, or a priority for him to say, okay, let me gather strength from these conversations to kind of either distract me from what's going on with the chemo or to make me feel better about the chemo. But just in case, put as much wisdom and, and positive energy out there as I can, you know, while I still have the chance. And uh, that seemed to me what to be what he was what he was doing uh, in those later days. Definitely. You had mentioned mindfulness and kind of mindfulness and this Eastern Buddhist philosophy. To me, it was almost like he was this weird hybrid blend of someone who is simultaneously living in the moment, but yes. also incredibly future oriented, envisioning something that wasn't there yet and, and kind of living split between those two. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the damnest thing, right? Like, you're right, because mindfulness is about all about being present. But how, how can someone who's being so present also be so creative as far as, okay, well, what's the future going to be? My experience with mindfulness, and, and this really goes back to, to what I said, conversations with him and conversations with my friend Jared. If you're always somewhere else, right, you're always mm -hmm. thinking about the past or if you're always thinking about the future, when are you actually aware of how you feel or what you need to do or actually getting things done? And so it's it's weird because I've never thought about it the way you just said it. But if you're going to be living in either the past or the future, as far as kind of being creative and being a uh, mindful person, I would say living in the present and the future is is the route to go. For Andy, it seemed to be that the past was the past. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it as much as you can. Maybe, you know, maybe living in the present is what allowed him to think about the future. Maybe figuring out, okay, well, here's where we are right now. Um, figuring out, okay, well, there's something either wrong or there's this um, itch, uh, whether it be physical, you know, the society, there's something wrong right now. Uh, and and maybe that's what drove him to think about the future. That's the way that that I interpreted myself. Now I I <laughs> do I do want to jump back and now be somewhat past looking because your your story yeah, yeah. about your first encounter with Andy and yes. the great opening line of Have you guys ever tried dog meat? That would not be traditionally the open line that consultants would be drilled in, in doing with their clients and customers. What, what was the general impression of everybody at the, at the 1776, their impression of Andy and being a consultant role? Was he seen as like a, a business consultant that was helping you tackle ideas or, or what was the impression? Okay. Let, let me, let me, let me tell you something that I don't even know if I've ever said, I truly don't know what Andy was actually doing there. I have no clue. One day this guy just pops in and all of a sudden he's he's helping us. We're so naive to and we're like, oh, he's just friends with us, but he's really helping us. And he's doing it, he's doing it in a brilliant way because he's figured out how to relate to us. But I still have no idea. I we would ask him all the time, like, hey, you know, what what do you do? What do you do? Oh, well, you know, I used to have this extension with Google Chrome and uh it's kind of cool, whatever. I used to work for um, Nielsen. I used to work for Nielsen. 
but you know, now I'm just kind of hanging out. And for us, that was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And, and so what was everyone's impression? Some people just were like, who the hell is this guy? Other people loved him. You know, like, 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 like we were like, oh, man, it's like, he just gets it. <laughs> I was told, I was told that Andy was working there as a consultant, working to help out in the capacity to build up, like help entrepreneurs achieve their visions. But I would be curious to talk to someone who could tell me what was the business relationship there? Yeah. I, if anything comes out of this interview, maybe actually figuring out why he was there. And I think it would be really really funny and andy like if there really was no reason for him to be there and and what i mean by that is look if there if there was if he was you know a consultant and getting paid then great but to me what if he was just there to help people and uh and that's that's exactly what he did uh because you're right i mean you you the way you put it you said he was there to help entrepreneurs and help you know people with their businesses and more so than anything, I think he was helping people. And um, I think people forget that, you know, entrepreneurs are just people. I think everybody now is getting caught up in, in oh, you got to work. You got to work harder and performing, you know, at your best, you're going to fail or you, you can't make payroll. You got to raise more money. But for me as, a, as an entrepreneur, those are all things that helped me at the time that I needed it the most. And um because of that, you know, I stayed sober, still sober today. And a lot of the things that I've that I've achieved um, since then are all because of that and because of the things that he taught me. So I guess I don't really care why he was there. Um, it doesn't really matter. Uh, he was and, and it helped me. That's amazing. And congratulations on six years of sobriety. That's that is an impressive feat. I appreciate it. But you know, the reality is, is People do say nice things, you know, when, when you're able to get to a certain point with it, but it really comes from help from other people. And who would have thought that I would have met some random person talking to me about dog meat and, you know, then doing a podcast interview six years later and actually admitting, hey, wait, <laughs> as much as you want to congratulate yourself for, for being sober, it's because of people that, that stepped in and helped. And sometimes it's a random person that you don't even know why they're there. Life's weird like that. Yeah, that, that whole that whole experience does feel quintessentially Andy. So like I myself have gone through like startup incubator programs and I felt like in, in those programs, they definitely bring in business consultant types and people who have successfully launched businesses and everything like that. But you're right. Like it's always the perspective is or the focus of those is, is like, are you doing a lean startup? Have you made a business canvas model of, of what you're trying to do? And are you failing fast? Are you iterating? And it felt like the the mushy kind of more emotional side of stuff is is more or less ignored. But I could see Andy nailing that part of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in my capacity for, for what I do at the college, no, nobody really tries to focus on the person. And um, the fact that he did was was why I thought he was so uh, helpful. You know, now that I'm able to teach, um, teach freshmen, college kids, uh, that's what I try to do. I mean, they've got to pass their test or they need to have a basic foundation. But um, you also need to know that at the end of the day, you're never going to completely be autonomous. You're never going to be a cyborg. You're going to have emotions and you're going to be stressed out. And how do you deal with that? And 
lot of that came from, you know, my experiences with Andy. That's really cool. If I could go through a program that did that, I would I would sign up in a second. That that sounds amazing. You know, I think it's really fascinating is when Andy was talking to me about his goal for this podcast, he focused on this notion, or at least the way he described it, he was telling me he was wanting to create something that inspired uh, people that were in a situation like him, people who were either diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer or some other terminal illness. He wanted to provide them with knowledge and provide them with motivation and inspiration. And everybody on the list that I've talked to so far seems to more closely map back to his own experiences with innovation, entrepreneurship, and and kind of motivating people in that angle. I don't know if that was like, if it's a product of his network or if he actually had a greater philosophical belief that this is actually, maybe that they're like, these things map one-to-one, that the type of inspiration that you need for being in an entrepreneurial space might be similar to what he felt he needed when he was dealt the diagnosis he had. Yeah, you know, so when Andy got stage four, um, shortly after that, uh, my wife's grandmother, I refer to her as June Bug, uh, but she was known to my wife as Grammy. Uh, she was diagnosed with stage four. The hard part for me was that she was a very similar soul to uh, to Andy. It was just her her perspective on life. And you bring up a good point, which is, okay, well, why, what, what is this common thread that Andy has of, of people that he's talked to or that that you've gone on and talked to that he had you know had come up with this list you know what what's the common denominator and i i believe you're correct i believe that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are successful and when i mean successful i mean financially um they 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 get it with you know some new app or something but then there's other entrepreneurs that it's almost their lifestyle it's the way their brain works I don't know if you're you're born that way or I don't know if it, your experiences take you that way but it's just in your it's just in your DNA. You're motivated by money, you know, money's great, but it's a lot deeper than that. And maybe what you're finding is that Andy related to a certain a certain number of people that were kind of these lifestyle entrepreneurs. The people that said, "Wait a second, things might be bad or, or why, you know, why do people get cancer and still die? That doesn't make sense to me. You know, there's gotta be a way to fix it. Um, and they, and they're people that they get, they've been kicked in the gut. They've experienced hardships. They still have this eternal optimism. And, and that, that goes back to, to the June bug, you know, the, 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 my wife's grandmother that I just mentioned, she was eternally optimistic. And so was Andy. And that's, that's that's the thing that I find with these these lifestyle entrepreneurs is they have hope and hope that just never wavers. And it doesn't mean that I don't wake up some days and I complain about this or I complain about that because I do. And because that's just the nature of it. Right. Because as an entrepreneur, you're looking for you're looking for arbitrage. Right. You're saying, let me see if I can find these broken things and fix them. The 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 lifestyle entrepreneur goes I don't think I can fix these things. I know I can fix these things. And so it's weird because people who don't live that life, they say, why are you always finding things that are wrong? Or why are you always finding things that are broken? You're such a, you're so, you're so negative. And it's, and it's funny because it's, that's, that's not the case because 
you're finding the things that are wrong because you truly believe you can fix them. That's an optimist. Yeah, I'm hopeful that that's kind of on the horizon, that that unflagging sense of I can change this with enough people ends up getting to a breakthrough that would would mean that this isn't such a, a death sentence when people are given it. And then in the meantime, for anybody who is given that bad hand, that they're able to play it with the panache that Andy did. Yeah. I mean, you know, every, I, I, I pay attention to medical news a lot more lately, you know, since experiencing not only Andy, but, but June bug and, and seeing what she went through. And I guess I saw that there's a company in Israel that claims to have figured out a way to cure cancer. And I, I'm, again, I go back to what I said before. I'm hopeful that that that's true. I guess we all have to wait and see. I, I, I like what you said, which is until we really have found the cure, maybe the maybe fixing the, the, the problem is giving people higher quality of life after they've been given that given that hand. But you know, the truth is, it's never going to be fixed if we have people just going around being pessimistic all the time. If Andy gets cancer and wakes up one day and says, well, that's it, I'm done, guys. If everybody did that, then we, we wouldn't cure it. Um, and so that hope, you know, while while he had that hope and, and that optimism and ultimately lost his life, um, more people like him will come. And he has inspired other people to think that way. And that's all just going to carry forward. I, I truly believe, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not young, but I'm not old. I'm 31. I truly believe that by the time I pass, unless there's some unfortunate accident, I, I do think that there will be a cure to cancer. Yeah, I'm very hopeful that in our lifetime, it'll either be something that is curable or more manageable or, or something. I know that it's it, it in and of itself is this giant wide category of things that are cancers and different implications. And so it won't always be just one thing to fix them all. But yeah, I do. I do definitely hope that pancreatic cancer is on that list. You bring up you bring up a good point, which is maybe it's not a complete cure, but maybe it's an extension of life. You know, HIV was such a big deal for a long time because as soon as you got it, you know, your your time on earth was was done. And and now we have medication to prolong to prolong life and people can live very reasonably long lives. And you know, hepatitis C, that was a very deadly disease as well. I, I couldn't believe it, you know, a few years ago when I was in grad school and I had a professor who had literally been cured of hep C. And and I guess the hard part that I've seen I'm sure you're aware of this is the more rare the cancer or the more aggressive the cancer, the harder it is to get research dollars, the harder it is to get people to focus on curing that specific type of ailment. From what I've seen, this is totally a plug for Andy's brother, but what he's done with the purple stride event every year in DC, you know, I've, I've been to, I think the last four, what I've seen is that event has gotten bigger and bigger. And the money they raise is awesome, but more than the money, the awareness that they're raising for pancreatic cancer is amazing. And it's going to take stuff like that for the legislators, the politicians, the funding mechanisms, and the people, the scientists. They need the awareness uh, because that'll drive the actual uh, solution to prolonging life or even curing the disease to come rather than just you know raising money. 
Absolutely. It's not just a simple matter of funding. There's a, well, it becomes a people problem, right? You have to have, uh, it's not enough just to dangle money in front of people. You have to have people understanding the magnitude of it, choosing to focus on it instead of other opportunities that are out there. What I, what I find interesting chatting with you, I, I myself was in a, a similar situation where around the time I found out about Andy's diagnosis, I found out about another relative also getting a stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis. Yep. I, I felt like pancreatic cancer was this really abstract disease. I think I knew Steve Jobs had it. But prior to that, I don't think I could have named anybody else. And then it just kind of felt like it was suddenly hitting in waves. I didn't know if that was just a product of getting older and having more relatives or friends exposed to that, or I don't know if it's, if it's always as prevalent as these numbers seem to suggest. So you, and thank you for bringing that up because you just reminded me of something that I don't even, I don't even know how many people I've told, but when Andy, Andy was still fighting and when I found out that my wife's grandmother had it and Andy actually reached out and sent an extremely uplifting message to my wife's grandmother. Remember, this is an 84 year old woman that he's never met. And he, and he wrote her an email that just completely raised her spirits. I got to be honest. I reached out to him and I said, Hey, would you mind doing this? And he was like, absolutely. Now, what was funny is he never even said, Hey, by the way, I did this. He just did it. As far as what you're saying about are more people getting it now or, or are we just more aware of it? I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's possible, but it's definitely, it's definitely strange because I've heard of a couple other cases as well. And you're right. And when I was growing up, it was, I don't know anyone who has pancreatic cancer. Maybe the, maybe the issue was that because it took people so quickly, uh, they didn't know, they didn't know what it was or perhaps there's something wrong, but I think what it comes back to is, and this is definitely a lesson to be learned from from what Andy was able to share with me and others, is we we, we need to work harder on influence. It it really comes down to it, we need we need people to be influenced to do things. They need to come to these decisions on their own. We can't force people to to do certain research or to fund things that they don't want to fund. They have to be committed rather than than told what to do. I definitely agree with that. I think that they're very hard to motivate people on a path towards fixing something like this just through coercion. It has to be kind of of their own volition. Tommy, thank you so much for taking time to, to connect. I, I really appreciate it. All right, Jess, I, I'm very honored and uh, grateful that you and Andy decided to uh, talk to me about this today. We're, we're honored and thrilled that you were willing to chat with us. All right, thanks, Jess. Tommy, thank you. Have a great day.